this year's Summer Olympics in Rio, it now seems a distant past, especially when we consider the cold and the snow of today. Uh, and not only that, we've had much notable news since then, including the uh, presidential elections. But there were many uh, notable folks who came out of the Olympics, folks like uh, Simone Biles and Michael Phelps and also Usain Bolt. Remember Usain who was uh, called uh, the fastest man alive. But there is another gentleman that you may or may not remember. His name is Wilhelm Belosian. Wilhelm Belosian. He was that French sprint, sprinter. But he was not known uh, uh, in the Olympics because he did so much winning. The reason that he's known is because of his false start. I'm not sure if you recall that, uh, but at the games this summer, uh, that as the sprinters were lining up on the, their, their, their blocks, they were awaiting for the gun to go off. Can you imagine all the tension all the anxiety, all the stress, and all the pressure that was there. And as they were lined up on the starting blocks, waiting for the gun to go off, ready to shoot out there. Uh, however, just a, a millisecond before the gun went off, Wilhelm Belosian, he shot out there ahead of everyone else. Were you saying, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about that is that in 2010, uh, that the Olympic Committee, uh, they passed a rule. And that rule says that if you have uh, uh, a false start, you are automatically disqualified. In other words, you don't get a second chance. So Wilhelm Belosian, he had trained for years. You know that you do not uh, plan to be in the Olympics and show up one day and say, here I am. So he had trained for years just for that one moment in time that could possibly change his life. Uh, think of all the endorsements. Uh, think of all the accolades back in his home country of France. Uh, all of this was probably on his mind. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I can't wait to get out there because I'm going to be the fastest man in this race. But before the gun goes off, he shoots out there, and he is disqualified and is on his way home. Imagine that. But did you also know it's possible to have a false start with God? Did you know that you can be on the starting box with God? Because God says that you are going to be in this race and you are going to do it. And you prepare yourself year after year, day after day, preparing to be obedient to God. And so there you are on the Holy Spirit starting blocks and you are awaiting Jesus Christ to shoot his gun, but yet you jump out ahead of God. False start. I don't think that necessarily disqualifies you. But I say that 
It is something that is very dangerous in our life. We plan to follow the Lord, but along the way we somehow grow impatient. We grow extremely anxious to the point that, you know what, I can no longer wait. Let me get out there and do, uh, do it right now. But God said, what are you doing? Because I didn't tell you to go, so where are you going? So we move ahead of the Lord before he tells us to go, my daughter, or to go, my son. Today we will look again into the life of Abram and try to understand why he would fall into this trap of moving ahead of God after God had promised him so much. You know, God said, I'm going to give this to you, but... I, how is it that you could still move ahead of God after God said, it is as good as yours? Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Deciding to move ahead of the Lord when he doesn't. This is exactly what Abraham was faced with. Deciding to move ahead of the Lord when he does not go forward. Beginning in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived uh, ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. You know, when reality sets in, we start to think about the future. When reality sets in, we just start to think about the future. The opening verse of this passage, it provides us with information we already know. We have been walking with Abram for a period of time. We already know that Sarah had no children. We already know that Sarah was barren. In fact, again, it was first introduced to us all the way in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. So from the very beginning, uh, when we saw Sarah, we knew Sarah what? Had no children. But later, uh, the Lord promised Abram that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And we find that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And then we moved all the way to Genesis chapter 15, where we heard the complaint of Abram to God. Remember what Abram complained to God about? He said that, look, Lord, me and my wife, we don't have any kids. Now here it is again. Lord, have mercy. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. We're beginning this new chapter. And the very first thing that we hear is that Sarah had borne Abram no children. You know, you have to have a pretty short memory not to remember that. Pretty short. So why would Scripture so soon mention that she had no children again? Well, what we see here, what we see here 
is our famed couple getting antsy and impatient about having no kids. This is what we see, right? <clears throat> because now this idea of Sarah being barren, it's now reoccurring over and over again, and now with regularity. So what's happening, uh, the, the, this writer of Genesis, what he's saying is that they are getting antsy. We saw how Abram wanted children so much that he planned to adopt his servants as his son. And God said no, uh, that, you know what, you're coming up with that independent plan, so I said no. And for most people, no from God is good enough. That when you hear no from God one time, that's enough. But I can imagine Abraham and his wife, that they were not getting any younger, and we know that they weren't. And they were now looking at their age as if they were uh, uh, staring down a barrel of a loaded gun. Saying to themselves, Sarah, Abram, you know, honey, we're not getting any younger. And it's going to be over with soon, and we ain't got any kids. I know uh, that we're like in our 80s and our late 70s or so, but you know we're not getting any younger. There's no way out of this predicament. So I can imagine uh, Sarah saying to herself, I better hurry and do something. I better hurry up and do something. You know, nothing is going on now, so let me hurry. <laughs> we were totally mesmerized, remember that, uh, at the faith of Abraham uh, that he demonstrated last time. Remember when it says that Abram believed God and God uh, basically counted that to him for what? For righteousness. Remember that? That, that Abram believed God that much and that came on the heels to him uh, giving this complaint to God saying, God, I have no children. But then it says, Abram believed God and that was accounted to him for righteousness. But what we see in bringing this issue up again is an impatience. An impatience developing out of personal desire. We've heard this before. Since the Lord is going to do it, let me just help him out anyway. Amen. You know, Lord, since you are going to go ahead and give me a man, let me just pick this man. Amen. Lord, since you're going to give me a car, let me go ahead and get this Mercedes that I know I can't afford, but yet I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and believe in faith, right? I'm going to believe in faith that I'm going to be able to make those payments down the line. Amen, right? We know that God is going to do something. I don't know. Maybe God wants to give you a hoopty for a period of time. So you can pay your bills. Amen? Uh, but some of us believe that, you know, I'm just believing God, and not just for a good, stable riding car. I'm believing God for a Mercedes. But we also try to figure out the reason why things are not happening. Don't we? We always try to deconstruct our life or deconstruct our plan to see what's wrong here and what can we do. And, and Sarai and, and Abram, they were no different. And we've heard Abraham complaining. We've heard this. And now we see the impatience Sarah coming into play. So they decide to uh, go ahead and do this, right? And, 
And as we look at verse 2, they realize again that not just the fact that they can't have children, but Sarah does what? She She places the blame on her inability of having children on God. She's saying, God, the reason I can't have any kids, that this is your fault. This is your fault. At least uh, when we saw in uh, uh, chapter 15, uh, Abram was neutral in assigning blame. But Sarah, she was bold. Uh, Don't you know, gentlemen, that sometimes your wife can be really, really feisty? Don't you know that? They sometimes seem all docile and nice, uh, but you just get them in the right place and it's like, look out, here comes the bulldog and you better get out of the way. I'm so glad my wife isn't like that right now. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So she instructs Abram to go into my servants. What does that mean? Well, that means to... All right, Abraham, go ahead and take my servant and uh, uh, you all have a baby together. You all have a baby together and she's going to be like your wife. And Abram, a man full of faith, a man uh, knowing that he knows the difference between right and wrong and he's getting strong and he hears this word from his wife and he says uh 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 I wish I would don't you know what God's gonna do I wish I would go into another woman don't you know you are my lady you are my lady (laughs) Abram says I Abram does not resist he says I sounds very similar to what we heard Eve encourage Adam do in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 she took of its fruit and ate she also gave some to her husband who was with her and we all know that Adam said uh uh-uh, uh it's not going to happen Adam said also alright I'll eat it okay that's fine So now Sarah, she creates a plan and initiates, but uh, remember that God rejected Abram's independent plan. So what makes them think that Sarah's plan was going to be any different? God rejected Abram's independent plan. So what makes them think now all of a sudden God's hand is going to be on your plan, on her plan? And I tell you this, brothers and sisters, if God's hand is not on your plan, you need to stay put. Amen? Amen. You better stay put and listen to God. So unfortunately, Abram did not learn his lesson the first time. And so he again attempts to accomplish God's will through the actions of his wife. Much like Adam, he did not speak up, but instead he sat passively by and allowed his wife to make a spiritual decision for the household. And again, here it is, gentlemen. You know, I know sometimes it's hard on us. But, you know, we cannot abdicate our spiritual role in the household. Amen? We cannot just sit idly by and allow, uh, uh, and allow other folks to make decisions for us that God has given us authority to do in the house. Amen? And now, we're not talking about uh, a husband or a father who's a dictator. We're not talking about a man who's running roughshod. Because as many of you know, 
that when you are a man of God, that your wife will be willing to follow you with no problem. It is the man who's not walking with God uh, that that woman uh, begins to question everything that he does. When you're not walking in God and not walking in the strength of the authority that God has given you, then you can expect uh, trouble in your household. So as men, we must be responsive to the call of the Lord and lead our families in spiritual matters because its spiritual health depends upon it. If your spiritual household is in order, guess what? It also strengthens the church. I'll try it one more time. If your spiritual household is in order, it also strengthens the church. The weaker your families are, the weaker the church is. Well, what sense does that make? Because that means that if you are not exerting the authority that God has given you concerning spiritual matters in your household, when your family comes to church and they hear the word of God, when your wife and your children hear the word of God, they're going to respond to the preacher like they respond to the husband and the father. See, I'm not trying to hear that. They sit by and just check out as soon as they sit down. So in the execution and creation of this plan, the question is, here it is again, and we must look at this observation. How much was God involved? Look at it. Verses 1 all the way through verse 6. How many times have you seen the Lord? Yahweh or God, Elohim. How many times have you seen that? And the answer to that question is zero. Never was the Lord consulted and not even informed of what they wanted to do. So we see again how Abram, much like Adam, took the back seat when he should have been opposing and bringing correction and alignment to the situation. Adam had an exclusive relationship with the Lord in which he walked and talked with him in the garden. Early on, Eve was nowhere to be found. It was just God and Abram. God and Adam, that is. Abram, however, he also had a coveted relationship with the Lord. Because uh, the Lord began to exclusively speak to Abram all the way when they were in the land of Ur. Abram and God were speaking. They had this coveted relationship. And when we saw uh, uh, Abram speaking with the Lord, uh, Sarah was nowhere to be found. So how? I ask you, how could he allow his woman to speak for the plan of God when she had not been speaking with God? Abram had the inside scoop on what the Lord was doing and how they needed to follow him. And this is how they were able to make it so safely. Even when they were in the bind, the Lord still was able to get them out eventually. It is interesting that both Adam and Abram had a propensity not to lead when it was important to lead. Amen? Uh, did you hear what I said? That both Adam and Abram had a propensity not to lead when it was important to lead. Well, what do you mean by that? What it simply says is this. This is, this is the principle, I believe, that's there. And that is, a gentleman, we first learn to lead in the small stuff. We learn to lead in the small stuff. And as we lead in the small stuff, when it's time to lead in the big stuff, it becomes natural. Uh, now, I'm not sure. We don't know all the little bits day in and day out between Adam and, and uh, between Abram 
and Sarah. We don't know what went on day after day. But what I do know is that in our life, that if we do not train ourselves or discipline ourselves in spiritual matters, when it finally does matter, there's nothing there to draw on. We have no strength. It was striking to note how much Abram spoke to God in the last chapter. Remember how we talked about that last time? Uh, Abram spoke to the Lord. The Lord spoke to Abram. Uh, Abram spoke to the Lord. Uh, the Lord spoke to Abram. And we get here in these first few verses and God is absent. Is God absent from your life? Are you speaking to him? Or are you just making decisions? And he is totally devoid of the conversation. So when the Lord is noticeably absent from our conversation... Know that it shuts the door to him of being absent in our planning. When the Lord is noticeably absent uh, in our conversation, it shuts the door to him being uh, apt, it shuts the door to him being present in our planning. In other words, if, again, if you're not accustomed to speaking with God and, uh, and allowing him in uh, to your life and into your situation, that when it really matters that there's going to be nothing there. So a plan devoid of God turns people against one another also. Did you know that? That a plan that is devoid, that where God is absent, that it can turn people against one another. Genesis 16, starting in verse 4. So Abram, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you, sucker, right? I, I, I gave, it doesn't say sucker, right? Don't, don't add to the word of God, you all, right? Uh, I gave my servants to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Boy, Sarah was fiery man. Verse 6, but Abram said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So after their plan was finalized, it was time to execute it, and boy, execute it they did. Sarah gave Abraham permission to sleep with Hagar, and he did so without resistance. Uh, but also note that uh, not only did uh, Abram not resist, but Hagar didn't resist either. Well, we can say that, well, we understand that because she was a, she was a servant and she had to do as she was told. Right? We can say that. Uh, but they learned, uh, these servants, they learned how to submit without question. Uh, oftentimes in these ancient societies, when a couple, when they could not have children, and we've spoken about this before, uh, that these types of relationships, that they were legal. In other words, that this was a legal arrangement. She was a servant, so possibly, uh, she was probably a young woman, uh, and, and, and one of the things that she knew was that if she was called on by her mistress to service her husband, then she had to do this. And if they needed to have children, that that child would become uh, the, the son of that particular husband. This was normative. This was not anything that's, uh, that's outside of, of the social norms. It was acceptable. 